Athletic. Reds, Tony Evans here with Walk On, your Liverpool podcast from The Athletic. Well, the international break's almost over. Praise the Lord. We're Derby Day on the horizon. Coming up, we'll look ahead to the Blues coming across the park, question whether Costas is the man to fill in for Robbo, and ask just how good has Liverpool's start to the season been. And to do that, we've got Andy Jones and a warm welcome to The Athletic State analyst, Mark Carey, who's going to tell us all kinds of stuff we didn't know. As ever, let's start with those three words. Well, I'm going to let you have a go, Andy, this week, because I'll give Mark time to think about things. <laughs> so I'm going to go with figuring out expectations. Figuring out expectations. And there's so many syllables in that. I thought it was about eight words. <laughs> Mark, your thoughts? I've gone for boring international breaks. Uh, I couldn't agree more, couldn't agree more. Well, let's see what they're saying over at the Walk On Podcast Facebook group. Andrew Bell, 12 bloody 30. Yeah. John Wallace, <laughs> step up Costas. Steve O'Brien, big push needed. And Peter Keeley, we go again. And I'll say, Derby Day Belly. <laughs> to join our community of listeners on Facebook, just search Walk On Podcast and join the group. Well... I mean, I think I've made it clear how I despise international breaks in England. The problem is you go away and suddenly you've got players injured. Andy Robertson with Scotland. Andy, that's not good, is it? No, definitely not. When you sort of saw him coming off, holding holding his arm, holding his shoulder, it didn't look good. And then you instantly think about the ramifications. And it's always been one of the things Klopp's been very, very scared about whenever the players go away on the international breaks is what shape they're going to come back like. Unfortunately, uh, Robertson's down, and obviously we all know how, how much of a key player he's been. It's very much a, a wait and see still, I think, to find out exactly the extent of the injury. But um, it's also a, a big moment for for Kostas and McCashin and how he's going to step up. Before we get to him, Mark, where does this leave Liverpool's defence? Because they've been one of the problems this year. I mean, we talked last season about the... The, the midfield until we were well, until we were sick of it, but this season conceding goals and all that sort of thing. And Andy Robertson is people have been criticising him because when you know, Trent was playing this position, they've been shifting to a back three. How do you see it? Yeah, I mean, in terms of Simicast coming in to to deputise for for Robertson, he's sort of done it on and off, hasn't he, throughout his Liverpool career? I think if there was anyone to sort of be a like for like replacement within the team. I think Simicast is the most similar to, to Robertson. I think that he's not really done himself a disservice every time he's he's come in. He's only played a couple of cup games this season. But I think, as has been the case a lot of last season, it was more teams attacking Liverpool down Liverpool's right that was kind of the issue. So I think if he can just sort of perform similarly, solidly as, as Robertson has this season, I think, as you say, Robertson's got a little bit of criticism. But I think the issue will be more that he's not as adept or, or he hasn't played as much as sort of tucking in a little bit inside. I think he's more used to going forward a little bit. He'll have to play more of a disciplined role because of the way that Trent now plays as well. But looks like he's going to be having to play there for, for at least a few weeks while Robertson comes back from injury. And you wrote a piece about him on Friday, didn't you? And um, it wasn't the most flattering piece I've ever read. <laughs> 
I mean, it was just to sort of look at what Simakas is as a player compared to Robertson and a little bit, and also just what he brings. And but what you find is generally he's he brings a lot, I guess, a lot more in the attacking sense in terms of where he is on the pitch, the, the types of crosses that he's able to deliver. That, that they're his best attributes, and that's not to say that Robertson isn't good at that, but it's where Simakas is especially has flourished, and I think that's why you can you can see why Liverpool. You know, signed him and brought him in because at the time when when he arrived, Liverpool's system and strategy was very much you know still based around the fullbacks getting forward and being primary creative sources for chances. And um, that has obviously now changed with the system switch. And it's it's one of them for me with Simakash where I think he enjoys the side of the game where he wants to get forward, but it's still the stuff defensively in terms of that responsibility, that position, and that you can't necessarily seeing the data where you still have a few question marks. And he, I was a little bit surprised to see that he'd only started two Premier League games in a row. You know, there was never any more where he started. And that's a testament to Robertson's fitness and uh, and form. But equally, you know, it, this could be a case where Simakasha starting two, three, four in a, in a row, if depending on the extent of Robertson's injuries. And defensively, he's aggressive, which, you know, the type of the defender Liverpool wants and, and the type of defender uh, Robertson is. But, it does also mean that Simakash gives away more fouls and gets triple the amount of fouls Robertson gives away per ninety, which which isn't always helpful, especially if you you're not great at defending set pieces. And, and Liverpool have shown a couple of little flaky moments from set pieces this season, so it's a massive challenge for him, and it's it is going to be a step up, and he's going to take on a lot of responsibility. And that role he's now been asked to play is a lot different to the role that you would say he's suited for. He's very much a backup. You'd never think he'd be a first choice, would you, Mark? But I mean, are there any other options? Now that Trent's fit, do you move Joe Gomez across and put a square peg in an even round to hold? I wouldn't say so simply because of the the way that Liverpool play and most elite sides play is thinking so much about the in-possession play as much as the out-of-possession. And naturally, with the, the sort of passing angles of having a left footer to, to either play up the line or play inside into the, the midfield, it would be a bit more laboured by having a, a right-footed player kind of playing either as left-back or, or left side of a three when it turns into a, uh, a back three in possession. It was sort of no secret that over the summer there was a lot of talk about a left-footed, left-sided centre-back who could also play as, as a left-back. And it's the the model of this this three-box three that Liverpool have kind of followed suit for, from Arsenal and, and Man City, the way that Nathan Ake and now this season Josco Gvardiol has played that sort of hybrid role for a player who's aerially strong, physically big and able to also play as a, as a left-back or a full-back. That would most certainly help Liverpool if they were to have had that sort of profile of player. But I think that in the meantime, they're able to 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 cope in the way that they are doing it. It just means, to, to Andy's point, that they're just going to have to be a little bit more disciplined in the way that they sort of have Simicast play because he is naturally going to be more attack-minded, as he's, he's always shown. But yeah, the jury's out as to whether he'll be able to to play that discipline role for, for long periods and against sort of more top sides. I mean, Liverpool have got favourable fixtures coming up, but if he's still in the team when it's against sides, it will give them a, a really good game from a you know from an attacking perspective. I think a lot of the, the teams that are coming up are going to probably be playing in a, a deep block or are going to sort of seed possession. But if they're maybe up against teams who are going to maybe go for that that left side of Liverpool, then, then we shall see. But, you know, in the time period that Robertson is injured... Um, I think Liverpool have fortunately got a fairly favourable fixture list coming up, which I think will play into their hands. 
I think it was it was interesting in the summer that the talk of the left side at centre back being able to play left back was a, was a based around Robertson more than sort of what if Robertson's not there. It was do we need someone who's more suited to the three box three and and it was talking about Andy Robertson's suitability to it rather than Simakash. And I remember flagging when Liverpool initially changed to it and we were talking about what it might mean for the squad moving forward. I remember raising the Simakash point of, I don't quite see how he fits into that role. Whereas Robertson, there's been times where it's, it's not looked natural to him. And even the season has been times where it hasn't been great. But I think he's shown a, an adapted as the season's gone on and he's looked better and better in it and more comfortable in the role. I think that's why there, there was such a clamour in in the summer because it was it wasn't just about what happens if we don't have Robertson. It was what what happens if Robertson can't adapt to it and, and Liverpool can't figure out a way of of keeping Trent and Robertson in the side, both getting the best out of them, but also defensively being solid. And I think we've seen better signs of that. The problem is now when you don't have Robertson, that issue comes up again. And I think that the form of Matip and Gomez have helped that defensive. You know, frustrations of not bringing anyone in their form has helped. But now we have that injury. Now you, you sort of begin to question, should they have done a little bit? Could they have done a little bit more in the summer to maybe maybe address this this issue that, that has, has come up? Football is bigger and more complicated than ever before. Just ask VAR. Check up, Blake. It's fine. Perfect. Yeah. So the Daily Football Briefing is here to help, whether it's the World Cup. It's a kind of face-saving, everyone's happy, no one's a loser. Lionel Messi. As they say, he completed football. Or Manchester United. I mean, the performances all season have been questionable. That are making you quizzical. The Daily Football Briefing has all the answers you need for every football story that matters. And it does exactly what the name suggests. It's daily, it's brief... And it's all about football. The Daily Football Briefing from The Athletic, available wherever you get your podcasts. Have your say and get involved by emailing walk-on at theathletic.com. Well, let's actually talk about the form this season. And Mark, you're the man for this. They've won against Bournemouth, Newcastle, Aston Villa, Wolves and West Ham. Then they've come from behind to be Bournemouth, Newcastle and Wolves. And they've conceded first five times. Only Sheffield United and Luton have conceded more, seven. And that's amazing. So, I mean, what's your take on the start of the season? Yeah, I mean, the conceding first five times is is a bit of a worry. I, I think it is a bit of a quirk uh, rather than too much of a of a pattern in the early season. I think my job as a, as a data analyst is to to spot trends and and look to to see where there might be you know outliers in certain things. And I, I always do say, without sitting on the fence too much, that after eight games, it is still so early to mm. to, to really tell uh, in terms of getting some some patterns. And I think that kind of feeds into to my answer on Liverpool as well. So I looked into it, and they've played 192 minutes of football with a numerical disadvantage because of obviously all the these red cards, which is obviously more than two full games. So to to reliably sort of infer their their performances against all the the sides that you listed, there's different game states, there's different contexts as to maybe why they haven't always been at the the highest level. I mean, the Wolves game was was shortly after the the international break as well, and that was the uh, the early kickoff, if I'm if I'm right in remembering that. So there's all different factors as to maybe why they haven't hit top form, but the the red cards being another quirk that I don't think will will continue. But I think performance wise, I think 
everyone would probably be in agreement to say that the the Aston Villa home game is probably the the best overall performance, and that was when everything was just at sort of an, an even keel. There was nothing sort of conspiring against Liverpool in that game, and they they showed a you know that they were really strong in that regard. Trent being on on really good form as well. I think a concern of of some of the patterns that I've seen is that they have been still vulnerable on the counter attack, which was something that plagued them so much last season, as we know. So. The numbers suggest that so Liverpool have basically conceded 27 direct attacks this season, which is a, a opta-defined um, proxy of counter-attacking, essentially. Um, and only Brighton and Sheffield United have conceded more. So as we've already kind of seen in the, the performances so far this season, Liverpool are still really strong, great going forward, but they are a little bit culpable at the back, which makes for an exciting game, especially if Liverpool are winning, an exciting game for the neutral. But... I don't think they've kind of locked it down quite as much as you know a couple of seasons gone by. Certainly not last season, but the the trends that we saw from last season don't seem to have truly gone away. They still are a little bit culpable on the uh, on the counter attack. Exciting games. I don't want exciting games. I think entertainment's killing football. What I want <laughs> is games to be over. Some of the best days of my life is when Liverpool killed games and it was finished after 10 minutes and you entertained yourself for the other 80. And, you know, I remember Steve Nichol talking to me about Chelsea when they did the double in 1986. And he said, after we scored, he said, there wasn't a shred of entertainment in the game. Not a shred. We killed it. And I was like, yeah, I remember it well. That was brilliant. But, Andy, thinking about the, the two draws with Chelsea and Brighton, both away from home, Chelsea increasingly looks like a missed opportunity. Yeah, and I think both are very much defined by by so not not both misses, but big moments in an attacking sense of Liverpool. Just caveats to the first day against Chelsea and that new manager, they're trying to put last the like last season's failures behind them, the crowds up, everything feels new and fresh and but if Mo Salah just waits one more second and Liverpool go turn it up, that game's over. I think Chelsea looked completely gone. Um and again you look at the Brighton game and, and Gravenberch should score. And Liverpool should go 3-1 up. And again, a two-goal advantage and you would have backed Liverpool to have seen that out. So there's there's frustrating moments in those games. Um, I think yeah, the Chelsea the Chelsea result's frustrating because you've seen then what's happened and the results that other teams have got. And I think Liverpool played Chelsea the fourth game of the season. It's not the same game that is on an opening day. And an opening day can be, there's always a, an odd result here or there. And there's always different factors that play in than just you would have in a game in November, for example, um, if the two were to play each other. There's a feeling that Liverpool could have had maximum points from those games, um, especially the positions they put themselves in, i.e. both leading in the game and then having chances to, to increase the lead and, and sort of gain that control. But I think in the context of the season, they're not bad points at the same time. They are difficult away games. Other teams will go there and struggle as well, especially Brighton. I think it's more frustration than concerns about performance, shall we say. But equally, there are, look at the two Brighton goals and you just think, you've just got to defend them better. Simple as. I think they, they're good points on the road, but could have been better, which I guess is better than, than snatching a late one and thinking we were rubbish there and have got away with one. It's better to be looking like you can win the no, game no, rather than no. just stop I'm a firm there. believer in being rubbish, <laughs> snatching the victory. Doesn't matter. Don't want to be entertained. Don't want to be good. Just want to win. Just want to get the points. Just want to finish top of the league. And that's what we've got here for, Mark. We want to know, are we in a title challenge? 
That is a big question. I, again, I hate to, to sit on the fence too much, eight games and all that. I think, it, yeah, so it's too early to tell, right? But I think for me, I think the way that Liverpool will negotiate those Europa League games going into the Sunday games will be key in, in deciding whether they'll sort of continue to, to mount a, a title challenge. I think that's often just, just that extra bit of fatigue travelling on, on a Thursday, then maybe this is not the, the most inspiring game on a Sunday. You've got to get yourself right up for it. I think it's those little maybe draws that you could otherwise have as, as a win, just as, as Andy sort of said there, that could be the the difference and just making sure that you just keep as, as sharp as you possibly can. I mean, in the early part of the, the Europa League campaign, we've seen how much Jurgen Klopp's rotated, rightly so, because they've been able to do so. But maybe you think, you know, going into the knockout stage of the Europa League, will they be able to do that quite in the same way and then keep up the momentum in the, the Premier League? So I think that will be kind of a, a big test. I think in general as well, I think across the league, you know, in years gone by, the past four or five, maybe more seasons. It's often been a, a two-horse race. Last season, obviously, Man City and Arsenal. Previously, it's been Liverpool and Man City. I think now, in terms of title challenge for, for a lot of teams, it's more of a three, four-horse race, which could be an advantage for, for Liverpool and all teams in that there's more likely, you know, it's more likely that teams will take points off each other in and amongst the top rather than seeing Liverpool and Man City pushing for, for 100 points. But, yeah, it's tough. I think Man City aren't quite as as strong a force as as they maybe were last season, the season before. I think there's context as to why they they lost their most recent games because of Rodri being out and the way that they function. He's so so key to that. A bit of bad luck along the way as well. But I think it's a bit of a cliche, right? But I think the the classic line of you can't win a title in insert month here, October, November, December, whatever it may be. But you you sort of can lose it. And I think Liverpool's in seasons gone by, maybe early 2010s, etc., has been that they have kind of lost it in the early part of the, the season, so to speak, and they haven't really stayed there or thereabouts. So if they can do that till April sort of time, then then who's to say, you know, who will, will win? I think there'll be far more far more of a title race among three to four teams than it necessarily be a, a certain team running away with it by the looks of the early part of this season. I suppose the only thing that worries me really is that City tend to get the blips in early, don't they? And um, you know, and they, and they get that together. But I think we can say with a fair amount of certainty that if the De Bruyne era isn't over, it's coming to a close. My instinct, Andy, is that they'll be there or thereabouts. The nails on for the top four, but a title race it might be slightly out of reach come the spring. You know. I'm hoping it isn't. Yeah, I probably agree with that. I think that's roughly where Liverpool are at the moment, and and that's you know that's not a bad thing given you know the overhaul of of the midfield and and the changes that have been made and and this Liverpool two point It comes back to the, the three words that I said at the start. This is what this run Liverpool are about to go on, where or the next four, where you know theoretically should be taking twelve points, and in seasons where they've challenged or won the league, they would have taken. 12 points from, from these next four. This is where we're going to find out exactly where Liverpool are in, in terms of that. I think you're right to think you would be very, very disappointed Liverpool are on a top four team again. And it is how, how far you can you can take that, that title challenge with the fixes Liverpool have had to, to be in a the position they are in, which you know could easily be better. That they, you know there is a possibility, and they've got they've certainly got the squad of players to do it. I think you can see that there's plenty of quality in the squad, and 
you know, injuries and, and as, as Mark said, you know, dealing with the, the Thursday, Sunday stuff is, you know, going to be a little bit new or new to a lot of these players. So it is about how you navigate. But it, your Liverpool's record against the bottom 10 last season was really bad. So before you begin to look at anyone else, you know, Liverpool have got to sort themselves out in terms of being able to just go away and beat the teams you're supposed to beat and beat the teams at home you're supposed to beat. Well, definitely. And that's the thing. We'll talk about Everton in more detail in a bit. But after Everton, Forest, Luton and Brentford, you've got to take nine points from them, haven't you? You know, And the three you pick up against the Blues. Yeah, I, I think you have to. I think this is, to, to Andy's point, I think this is where it'll be interesting to actually look to see how Liverpool approach that when the, there is the expectation to win. I think tactically, one thing that Liverpool will need to be aware of is playing against these deep blocks, as I mentioned before, obviously starting with, with the Everton game because their remit will be to to try and break down a low block, which has plagued them in, in seasons gone by, and to often, tactically, to get round you know, a team who's sitting off so much, you've sort of got to go around them. You've got to have a lot of width, which, again, to Andy's point before, Liverpool don't necessarily do quite in the same way this season because of the way that they've got the, the three box three and uh, and the way that both Trent, for different reasons, Trent and Robertson now tuck inside rather than keep their width and, and get really high and wide. And again, I looked into the numbers on this. It was quite interesting to see. So, so far this season, Liverpool have, have averaged 14.3 crosses per 90. Now, in the previous four seasons from that, their average hasn't fallen below 20 crosses per 90. So that's quite a significant decrease in the volume that Liverpool are looking to to get the ball wide and, and obviously get it into the box. And there's loads of context as to, to why that might be, not least because Liverpool haven't had a full 11 for a great deal of, of that time as well. But there's sort of context as to to why Liverpool isn't doing it, as I say, but they, they probably need to do that quite well against the likes of Everton, Forest, Luton, Brentford to a certain extent as well. Um, and they maybe need to adapt a little bit because at the moment they are playing narrow for the reason that we've we've spoken about tactically to to shift it but um i think you might need to see a little bit more width whether it's coming from the forwards or coming from maybe from from fullback or even you know subasly overlapping on the right hand side whatever it may be to get around that deep block because teams can really frustrate liverpool and most elite sides when they when they sit deep as we saw with everton against arsenal for long periods recently earlier this season well, I mean, the one thing that encourages me, Andy, the new signings have a tendency to, when they get on the ball, to look up and look to play the ball forwards. So if we can get the full-backs giving us a little bit of width again, you know, it'll open things up for that, that direct ball, you know, sort of through. I mean, do you think, given the amount of talent up front we've got, that we should be worried, too worried about people defending deep because we can flood the areas with top-class talent? Yeah, you you would say that Liverpool are probably, as you say, probably best equipped in terms of the talent they've got and the depth of it to, you know, to pick apart these low blocks. I mean, you look at the, the sort of midfield number eights that you've got, number tens, if you like, depending on you know the the box system. Jones, Gavinberg, Sobersly, Elliot, all creative players who are good technically, you know, can spot a pass, as you say, head up, looking to to play forward and and can beat a man. You've also got the depth of the front five, and okay, we don't exactly know when Cody Gakpo is going to be back, but you know, to to be able to to have three go mental for sixty minutes and then bring two of them off and bring two on to go mental for half an hour is better than what most people have in in terms of the running you can have. And I think you saw that against Brighton. I think the front three began to tire as the game went on, and it was the first time where Liverpool didn't have the 
the ability when they've had eleven to to change in the way they have been in terms of bringing two off and or two on and you know going again like they did against Wolves for example. So you you look at that and you, and then you've got Trent pulling the strings from a different position, but we all know his his passing quality. So this shouldn't be a problem for Liverpool. They should have way more than enough to break down these these blocks. And I think the important thing is, and something they didn't necessarily have last season even because of the injuries, it's the ability to change things and bring the fresh legs on, but make the opposition think about something different. About Because, you know, the, the front five, they're all very different in what they do. And I wrote a piece about it during the break. And, you know, just making them think about something, having someone pick up a different area, someone who can beat a man somewhere else on the pitch. And, and that should help against these these low block defences. I think another advantage as well is having Soboslai and Trent being more central in having, if you can sit off that much and maybe retreat into your own box, is having someone who's got the accuracy, the quality, the technique to be able to shoot from distance, which Liverpool haven't massively had in recent years. When they have had Trent, obviously he's been more of the, the crosser rather than the shooter from central areas. So, you know, I wouldn't encourage it from a data perspective, talking about and thinking about expected goals, as Andy will, will know by his rice smile there. But I think if it does come down to it and you've got a bit of space in front of you, we've seen already with Soboslai, we know with Trent, that maybe a, a shot from just outside the area could then, if if not even go in first time, then it could cause a bit of chaos and then you pick up the scraps as well. So another option, if not the the sort of option A, shall we say. Yeah, I didn't I did mention McAllister, but even that, that pass against Villa. McAllister, lifted over the top. It's not a pass you would be expecting Henderson or Wijnaldum or Milner well, exactly. to be to be making. It's it's that quality that you've got now to just unlock a defense like that. You know, in an instant. The two things that the you know the most successful midfields of the Klopp era did uh, that what didn't do was score and play passes. Not very often, anyway. Play passes down to sort of threading the through the defense. So, I mean, we can see that. I mean, we've talked about that at length. And I think that, you you know, Mark, you, you spoke to something really important there. The fact that we've got midfielders now who can appear on the edge of the box and shoot and we're likely to see goals from the midfield, that's got to change the way a defence thinks, hasn't it? I think so, yeah. As, as we spoke about, it's all, it's all about having different options. I think a pessimistic view might be that Liverpool have got such good forward-thinking midfielders, as you say, but sometimes you just need to have a bit of a foot on the ball, maybe just dictate the tempo a little bit, which I think, to Kirstis Jones's credit, he's been fantastic at doing that this season, in the same way that we got used to Gini Wijnaldum doing it. And I think sometimes, as I mentioned, Liverpool culpable a little bit at allowing teams to counter-attack on them. I think maybe just dictating the, the tempo a little bit is, is maybe what Liverpool need just to maybe even attract teams onto them if they're sitting off so, so much just to just knock it around for a little bit just make sure that the, the opposition step up even by a couple of yards and then go for the throat and maybe get that, that ball threaded in behind. So I think you can't always have too many attack-minded players in, in the midfield because sometimes you get a little bit caught out and I think we saw that a lot last season but if it's against a, a weaker side who maybe aren't going to provide that threat then who knows, pile all the, uh, the five attackers on and see what happens. We're sponsored for this episode of Walk On by LinkedIn, so it's only right that we crowbar in a reference to Liverpool's super slick recruitment process while we talk them up. Because when you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. And that's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. 
LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like Arnie Slot, probably. In any given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. In fact, on LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. So hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash walk. That's L-I-N-K-E-D-I-N dot com slash walk to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. You're listening to Walk On, brought to you by The Athletic. Well, let's talk about Evan. Andy, you saw a lot of dice ball, didn't you? Covering Burnley. What do you expect from him? Negative is probably the wrong word. Or maybe it is the right pragmatic. word. But it will be very Pragmatic. Much, yeah, pragmatic. Let's the be one. nice yeah. about them. Pragmatic. <laughs> yeah, let's let's bust them up. So, um, you know, they, they come in with a bit too much confidence. But, you know, it will be a, a very defensively disciplined team who want to get the ball forward as quickly as possible. And, and now they've got Calvert-Lewin back, for example, who is, I think when he's fit, is, is one of the best or one of the better target men in the league in terms of, you know, hold being able to hold the ball up, but just annoying defenders as well. He will be the focal point, the point of attack. And it's you know, if Liverpool stop the service into him, then Everton, you're going to probably see a pretty fruitless in what they try and do. But they want that that point to, to play off, and then try and get as many bodies round. But you know, they're going to let Liverpool have the ball. They're going to let Liverpool dictate the tempo, really, and then they're going to try and pick the moments as, as Dyche's teams always did against against the big teams and. That's what they tried to do in the derby last year at Anfield. And Liverpool, you know, we're, we're too good for them. And you just hope that, that, you know, it's the same again. Yeah, I mean, let's be clear about this, Mark. Daesh was handed a really poor squad to work with. So you can't put it all down to him. Uh, but they do seem to be moving slightly in the right direction at the moment. Yeah, and I don't have the, the exact numbers to hand, but their their attacking numbers have actually been pretty strong in terms of their underlying numbers they've missed quite quite a few uh, big chances but i think to to Andy's point you know before it is about them getting the ball up being direct and then building from that and they've again in their numbers they show just how much they do win the ball back in the the attacking third and that looks like if you if you look at it based on the numbers alone you might think that it's because they're pressing really high and they're looking to to try and suffocate the team but it's not quite that as as we know with a with a dice side it's getting the ball up and just feeding off second balls and scraps and, and kind of building from there so again from a Liverpool perspective you just got to be careful sometimes when Trent is venturing forward and just pushing up ever so slightly higher that then one ball in behind if Calvert-Lewin were to maybe just drift into little pockets and and spaces sort of nearer to the wings that you got to be careful that those balls don't go up to him, stick, and then you've got to chase back towards your own goal. So they've got a really clear way of playing under Dyche, increasingly strong every week because of, of his um, his tactics, but Liverpool just got to be aware of it. And as, as Andy said, they're going to dominate the, the play, but they just got to make sure that when they do give it away, which Klopp allows them to do, encourages them to do because of the counter-pressing system that they've got, but when they do give it away, just make sure that that ball doesn't go direct into to Calvert-Lewin and then you allow them to, to have a counter-attack from there. And don't give away stupid free kicks and corners, effectively. Because that's where, I mean, Everton nearly went one up last season from James Tarkovsky header, which hit the post or was cleared off the line. And, you know, Liverpool do go down the other end and score immediately. So you, you sort of forget about it. Tarkovsky off the post. Still alive. McNeil. 
It just wouldn't happen for Everton there. And now Liverpool could tear forward. And they've got the numbers. Nunez, three waiting for the ball across. What a counter from Liverpool. What a counter. Mo Salah from one end to the other. That's what dice teams are all about. They're all about trying to trying to bully you and, and be physical and take advantage of the set pieces. So it's and where where Liverpool haven't you wouldn't say have been particularly strong defending set pieces this season. You certainly don't want to be giving them too many gifts. And it's a dreaded twelve thirty kickoff, isn't it? You know it's um, again. <laughs> I, but what do you think he's gonna do, Mark? What what's your view on how he will who will pick given the players who are available? Yeah, I, I'm reluctant to say just because Alexis McAllister had such a bad first half against Wolves in that 12.30 after the first international break that he's going to suddenly do the same if Klopp were to decide based on that to, to not play Alexis McAllister in, in the middle and similarly just because he had one mistake that did lead to a goal against Brighton I don't think he's not deserving of, of starting but I just think the way that Ryan Gravenberch has been has played in the, the two Europa League games I, I'd maybe start him at the the base of midfield, obviously, then you've got Trent coming into midfield. Now he's he's fit and firing again. I'd sooner probably have that as a as a starting position. And the reason I'd also have Gravenberch is because against an Everton side who we spoke about are going to sit off, he does break lines really well and that he carries the ball. He commits players towards him. And even if he isn't the one to maybe take on the player, he's probably sucked in two players and then there's a, a space free elsewhere. And this game is going to be all about maximising the, the little space that will be available in kind of central areas. So I'd probably start Gravenberch with with Trent, you know, alongside him coming in from from fullback. And I'd probably have Soboslai a given, I think, now at this stage. And I'd probably have Harvey Elliott for similar reasons in that he's good in in tight areas as the sort of the, the third midfielder there. Um, he's been doing really well in general for Liverpool, but I think he got two goals and assists for England 21s. I think he captained... Uh, England 21s uh, against Ukraine in the, the second game they played. So I think he's fit and firing, on form, full of confidence, um, has, has not let himself down at all when he has played. And, and I think that his skill set is the perfect remit for what Liverpool need in this game. And obviously, Jones isn't able to play. And, and I think given that McAllister is coming back from South America, that would be sort of the reason why. But I, one final thing as well is we've got to bear in mind that Alisson, Luis Diaz, and Darwin Nunes have all been in South America as well. So it's not just Alexis McAllister who will be potentially like fatigued from this from this uh, international break. Yeah, Everton's best chance are players and knackers. No, hmm. I mean, it's a very forward-looking midfield, though, your punters up there, Mark. Andy, is there a case for giving end or going a game like this? Dogs of war and all that? I think it is. I think this is, the, you would think, the type of game that he was sort of brought in for in, in terms of the, the enforcer type role that he can do I think also that there's, there's a part in me which thinks to put him in even though he's not massively big he's heading he's quite good at heading and I just think if you've got Gravenberg and Sobersly who are obviously both tall as well and you've got Endo in there as well it's you know not not let them you know bully you from set pieces whereas Elliot we, we know you know isn't exactly blessed in in the aerial departments and he's not going to win you many headers against a, a James Tarkovsky or uh, you know, whoever else, uh, all the other big rocks that they've got. So I, I can definitely see it, and I, I think I think Graven, I think Mark's right in terms of Gravenberg. But I think what I've really liked about him is that he his ability to break the lines but higher up the pitch. And I also think that he does he hasn't struck me as someone who's necessarily got the defensive 
you know, have the defensive responsibility of being a Liverpool six yet, whereas I think Endo would be quite a good screen in front of the two centre-halves um, to try and basically block anything going into Carvert-Lewin and would also be able to challenge with him. So if I was picking a midfield, I would probably be looking at Endo, Gravenberg and Soberslai, but I wouldn't be against... You've got to see how McAllister is, basically, and you'll be able to... Now you've seen him coming back from an international break and what, you know, half 12 and you'll be able to judge him better on exactly what level you think he's at um, when you see him. Same with Diaz, same with Nunes, you know, same with Alisson, you know, all that. I think, fair say, Alisson will play regardless. Um, but, you know, they might have a better scope about exactly where they're at level-wise as to whether they can play. Because I think if McAllister can, if Klopp believes McAllister can play, I think he'll play. But it, I think if if you if you're not playing him as a six, I think Endo makes the most sense. What would you do, Tony, in the middle? I I, I would worry a little bit that if you play a Gravenberg in there, he, he doesn't look over his shoulder enough. I think he's got a little bit of the um, the way sort of Nunes was last year, and Klopp was a bit like you know you've got to track back, you've got to press, and all that sort of thing. I don't think he's learned that yet, and it seems to me if there's too much of a space between the midfield and the the, the defence. That's something Everton will exploit by getting men into there very quickly. And that's where you're in free-kick territory as well, if you get a bit, you know, overmatched in that area. So I'd be, yeah, I'd be inclined, you know, obviously Sjobersly is always going to be playing, but I'd be, I'd be inclined to put in, Endo in, see how it's going. You know, if it's not going well, then you've got the capacity to make changes. But start slightly more negatively. Does that make any sense at all, Mark? Yeah, no, I, it's funny. Despite everything that I said about having Curtis Jones as someone who can maybe dictate the tempo a little bit, as we saw with the Wijnaldum type, I then went for four players who were very, very forward-thinking. So I do completely agree with that. I think Endo and McAllister, of all the, the midfielders Liverpool have, would be the ones most likely to have a bit more awareness, be able to get their foot on the ball and dictate it a little bit more. I think Endo is so aggressive uh, out of possession he's he's shown that sort of already I, I do think he is a little bit only in my opinion I've got no data to to back this up I sometimes think he is a little bit laboured when he is in possession you sort of see that it's almost like at times it's not too critical but almost like midfield by numbers where it's like look over my shoulder look back at the ball put my foot on the ball look up make the pass and it just feels like you can see the mm. cogs kind of whirring a little bit rather than it being get it give it move it on or yeah, whatever he's, it he's may definitely be. not top class is he no, you can tell that he's yeah he wasn't the the first option. We we know this already, but um, I think maybe yeah to to both of your points for the remit of this game, you need a bit of defensive solidity, someone who's going to be a little bit more disciplined, and then that will allow the the more forward thinking players to to do their best work. I think that would make a lot of sense tactically. Yeah, we, we should have the firepower, shouldn't we, to to put them away, notwithstanding anything, Andy. Yeah, definitely. Um, we're, we're, we're talking quite... I feel this, this is what you do before a derby, isn't it? You sort of think of all the worst things that could happen just because you're so nervous about it. And then you you can sometimes forget or not talk about the brilliance of Liverpool and, and all the great things that we've got, which are going to cause... You know, I think Everton fans are a lot more fearful of, of what our front three or front five can do compared to, you know, the, a long ball up to... Calvert-Lewin and what they can do from there so we should have more than enough firepower not just to beat Everton but to be, beat most teams in the league and I think we've shown that in, in terms of the number of, of goals we've been scoring this season and, and the way we've been scoring them and, and the connections and the partnerships and that we're, we're, we're beginning to, sh- to see you know which, whichever from three that the Klopp picks will have played together before uh, you would think uh, there's only a couple of partnerships that has, he hasn't used 
at the end of the day, you've got Mohamed Salah, which definitely helps uh, him in any in any shape or form, and, and he sort of loves a loves the derby, doesn't he? And, and and doesn't mind the derby goal. Liverpool shouldn't have too many problems, and they should be able to score against Everton. We've, we've talked about the low block; they should be able to find the way through it, as a number of teams have done against Everton this season. Yeah, but you've got to put the fear behind. I remember Craig Johnson saying to me. He says, you know, he remembers being in the dressing room. He said, feeling really sick, wanting to vomit. He thought, you know, you go out on the pitch. He said, like, you had Peter Reid cutting you in half. He says, you know, they were, they run you, you know, whenever you got the ball, you just couldn't dwell on it. And he said, like, oh, you know, this is going to be, this is going to be difficult. He said, and then I looked around the dressing room. He said, like, I saw, you know, Dalgalisha saw Sunes. He thought, what must they be thinking? And the thing is, they don't have players. That would make you feel sick anymore too. Well, unless you're an Evertonian. Um, they don't have players that <laughs> would make you feel sick that way. So you don't want to be overconfident going to a derby. But I think we should put derby belly behind us and go into it, even though it's at 12.30, with our best foot forward and say three points today and send our blue friends back across the park with a tail between the legs. So that's it for this week on Walk On, your Liverpool podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Thanks to Andy and Mark. And you two for joining us. And don't forget to catch your At The Match pod on Saturday. We'll be back with Walk On next Wednesday and hopefully with three points in the bag. The Athletic.